Hello and welcome to episode 61 of The Witcher, chapter by chapter book review where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter 8 from Season of Storms. So just chapter 8 in this episode, the past couple of episodes I was covering more than one chapter at a time. Chapter 8 is a hefty one. There's a lot that takes place and it just did not make sense to go through uh, more than one chapter in this episode. It's just, uh, even if the following chapter was short, and I have read the following chapter, I've actually read quite a bit ahead. It's getting really interesting. I really want to know what happens. I haven't finished it. I'm probably about halfway through, but uh, yeah, even if chapter nine was short, I still don't think I would have included it. It's very eventful this chapter that we're going to talk about today. And let's go ahead and find out why. So I'll kick you off with a recap of the last episode. So you know where we're at. Uh, you get a refresh on what happened. Then I'll give you the summary of this chapter. And then we're just going to talk about it. So recap time. Geralt began a love affair with the sorceress Coral, who helped him to see, using divination, where his stolen swords were located. Dandelion, being familiar with the area, knew the name of the location based on the description. All right, well, that was your recap. Here is the summary of chapter eight. Geralt and Dandelion travel to Ravelin, the place where Geralt saw his swords in the fountain. There they meet the area's head of organized crime, Pyral Pratt, who tells Geralt he's seen his swords. He says he sent the thief to sell them at the Borsodi Brothers auction house in Novigrad. In exchange for this information, he forces Geralt to face off weaponless with a lizard-like monster called a Vigilosaur. Vigilosaur? I'm going to go with Vigilosaur on that pronunciation. Uh, in an arena in front of a bunch of nobles and politicians. Geralt gets hurt by the monster, but manages to hold it off for a bit using his signs and eventually kills it using a bar from a piece of railing that broke off when an audience member leaned on it. On their way back to Karak, Geralt and Dandelion notice they're being approached by horsemen, so Geralt tells Dandelion to head back to Karak while Geralt deals with the men. They bring him to a tavern where Geralt meets Prince Xander of Karak, who tries to blackmail Geralt into killing his father, the king, and his brothers. When Geralt refuses, Dandelion's cousin, Ferrant, pr presents himself and reveals that this prince is actually Prince Egmund. And then again, I, I'm not 100% sure on that pronunciation. I'm going with Egmund. And they were testing Geralt to see if he would succumb to blackmail, if Xander really did try to recruit Geralt for this task. Then Egmund tells Geralt that he would actually like to have him serve as a bodyguard at the king's upcoming wedding. And in the meantime, Ferrant will absolutely recover Geralt's swords. When Geralt returns to Coral that night, she tells him that her sorcerer associates have summoned him to Risberg Castle, but offers no other details except that it would be unwise for him to refuse. The next day, Dandelion purchases a quality sword from a widow and gives it to Geralt. Geralt then tells him he's setting out for Risberg and that from there he's going to try and find the sword thief near the auction in Novigrad, and he has no intention of attending the king's wedding like Egmont was expecting him to. 
really quick, so that's the end of the summary. Really quick, I should have said this at the beginning when I was talking about what I was covering. Uh, there's three interludes in between chapter eight and chapter nine, and I'm going to be covering those in this episode. So it's going to be, um, yeah, chapter eight and then interlude one, two, and three, and then we'll do chapter nine in the next episode. So I just wanted to make sure if you're following along, um, that you, or that I, I cleared that up, um, for the sake of being uh, precise, I guess. Uh, anyway, those, those interludes are really short, so we'll go through them in a flash anyway. But starting with the beginning of uh, chapter eight, so Geralt and Dandelion, they're traveling to Ravelin, and it's kind of a long ride, so you know, what else are they going to do on the way? They're, they're going to talk. Dandelion's quite the talker, so they're chatting it up, and they are on the topic of whether or not witcher swords are really enchanted. So that comes up and Dandelion says that, well, it's common knowledge that the swords possess magical properties. Witcher's swords possess magical properties. And he wants to hear what Geralt has to say about this since Geralt is a witcher. And Dandelion also says that it's known that the metal in the swords comes from meteorites, but well, meteorites aren't magical, so how exactly would that help to make the swords magical? So Geralt goes into this whole explanation about how meteorites absorb these magical properties as they're falling from the solar system, they're falling from the outer space um, down to Earth. They absorb this powerful energy while they're passing through these elemental and para-elemental planes. And he goes through that, says to Dandelion, yeah, you get that, like, that makes sense to you, right? And he's like, yeah, sure, okay. And then he says, okay, well, forget it, it's all BS. He, at least in my version of the book, I know with a different translation, sometimes it doesn't always say the same thing in every, like, I don't know, with the different publishers or whatever, but in my version of the book, he says, it's all poppycock. Such a funny word, poppycock. Uh, but he says that this is just a made-up rumor. This isn't real. None of that's real. Sword, the Witcher swords are not enchanted. This has been made up. And um, because, well, Geralt and probably other Witchers, I don't think Geralt was the one that made it up, uh, they would like the general public to believe that uh, Witchers are supernatural creatures armed with supernatural weapons. It's important for people to believe that because then they're going to think that they're really powerful, really reliable, and um, getting the job done. And uh, if they know the truth, they know that their weapons aren't um, enchanted, then it's not as exciting, it's not as cool, and um, it, then it, it becomes boring, and bo boring stuff is cheap, banality is cheap. So it's just in the best interest of his income and the income of other witchers that people believe these falsities about witcher swords. So that's that conversation. Uh, they arrive at Ravelin. They get to their destination, and it's this fortress inside of a crater. And they, they head in to find multiple entrances. They're all guarded. All the entrances are guarded. Um, but they're able to bypass the guards, and then they're led through these, um, or through this very elaborate fortress. And on the way, they see this semi-unconscious man on the ground, and his face is beaten, and he's all bloody, and 
Carol and Dandelion, they make a point to pretend like they don't see him. They don't stare at him because it's described that in Ravelin, a nose stuck usually parted company with its owner and remained where it had been stuck. And this exemplifies that they've not come to a nice or safe place. But after being taken through several rooms, they arrive in one where they have to get thoroughly searched and then are given instructions on what to do in the next room. So the man tells them, when you go in, you're going to sit down immediately. You're not going to stand until his excellency, he refers to his boss as his excellency, until his excellency commands. Don't speak until his excellency gives you a sign that you can speak. These are some strict rules about where they are or for where they are and the person that they're about to meet. It shows that this is probably not the type of place you want to come to unless you're desperate, which Geralt, I wouldn't say he's desperate just yet. I think he is getting there, though. I think that it's... Uh, I, I think that obviously he's going to come to this place. That's the only lead that he has on his swords. But he, um, it, it, he definitely would be better off getting his swords another way. But there's not another way. Anyway, it also makes me wonder how Dandelion originally ended up here. But this is obviously a really shady place. And we do learn a little bit more in a bit about his past with the guy that they're about to meet. But it doesn't say exactly how they became originally acquainted. But Dandelion, he's, he's famous. He's well-traveled. So I'm sure he meets many people from all different walks of life. Well, on their way into the room... Carol asks Dandelion about the his excellency references, like, oh, why are they calling him his excellency? And Dandelion says the guy used to be a priest. So that's what that's about. But uh, Geralt and Dandelion do not have to use those titles. That's just uh, what the people that work under him are supposed to call him. So they get inside the room. They see a bodyguard. Dandelion's familiar with his bodyguard. He calls him Makita. So Makita is this seven foot tall cross between an ogre and a dwarf and makita was created in his kind his type of uh, this ogre dwarf breed is created using a type of powerful forbidden magic and even though it's forbidden clearly it's still done uh, which can be seen in makita's existence uh it's a it's forbidden, but it's one of those things that I think like the chapter typically looks away from. But they're in the room, bodyguard, and then they're greeted by the man that they came here to see, and that is Pyrrhal Pratt, the region's head of organized crime. I think I'm just going to refer to him as Pratt going forward. I'll refer to him by his surname because as I was reading the, this chapter and as I was going through my notes in my head so if this is happening in my brain it's probably going to happen when I speak um but I kept wanting to say that there's a character in um a song of ice and fire so and he said he's in the game of thrones show too uh called Piat Pri. So there's this warlock, and his name is Pyat Pri. Pyat Pri, and then this guy in The Witcher is called Pyrrhal Pratt. Those names are just way too similar. Um, so I, I don't want to mix it up. Um, but at least, you know what? If I accidentally do, I've disclosed this, so you'll know what I'm talking about. But I'm just going to try to go for calling him by his surname. Anyway, 
So he starts off sounding, he sounds pretty polite at the very beginning, but then he tells Dandelion, oh, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you since you sang at my granddaughter's wedding. You'll have to do that again for my other granddaughter. Sounds nice, right? But then he says, I won't have to keep asking you like last time. I won't be forced to convince you. And then at this, Dandelion looks scared and he hurries to agree to sing at the wedding. So this quickly lets us know how dangerous Pyro Brat probably is uh, when he makes scary sounding threats over things as harmless as singing at a wedding. Um, so yeah, scary guy in a scary place. But they talk a little bit more before they get on the topic of Geralt's swords. He says that his health is bad. He lists all of his ailments. And then he talks about how uh, the next best or the next thing for him to do that would be best in his life with all the things that he cannot do anymore would be to get involved in politics. And one of the reasons that he would get involved in politics is that he's moved among politicians. He's very familiar with them. He knows a lot of them. So it would, would there wouldn't be a big learning curve for him. And it's, it's interesting, but it's not really too surprising when you think about it, that this head of organized crime knows a lot of politicians, worked closely with them, but that's really not an uncommon thing for politicians. So, um, speaking in the, the Witcher verse, <laughs> well, then he brings up Geralt's stolen sword. So we get to the matter at hand and he brings it up knowing that that is why they have come to him. So Geralt has not said anything about the swords just yet. He's already aware that that's why they're there. Um, because he's seen them. He describes both of the swords perfectly and uh, he he admits when um, Geralt says, yep, it's as if, as if you've seen them. He admits, well, um, I did. Uh, he was invited to buy them because the broker representing the interest of the current owner is someone that Pratt knows personally. And this person, in fact, told him that the swords were legally acquired from Fencarn, which is an ancient necropolis where many treasures and artifacts come from. So this guy straight up lied. Like, that's not the truth. He didn't legally acquire them. Um, but that's what the, the story is being told by the thief and the broker representing the thief. But uh, before... Pratt will reveal any further information about this because uh, he hasn't given Geralt any information yet that would help him get the swords back. He says that information costs money. He's not giving it up without Geralt doing something for him in return. And Dandelion, he actually even tries for a moment to plead with him for old friend's sake, but it's to no avail. So when Geralt asks, okay, what's the price for the information? Like, how do I got to pay you for this? So Pratt has his bodyguard, Makita, snap a gold coin in half. And that's showing that what he was going to do is give Geralt a half. And then someday someone would show up with the other half and then demand some kind of wish to be fulfilled. Probably something really bad. Geralt doesn't want anything to do with these kinds of practices. And he doesn't think that recovering his swords is worth it. So he says, nope, no deal. I'm declining that. But then Pratt tells him that, Okay, that's fine. You can leave. You can be off on your way, but you're going to go through another door and you're going to go through that other door after you get undressed first. <laughs> I, I was not expecting that, but that's what happens. Um, and Geralt and Dandelion, they show that they're very unhappy about this. And Pratt sees that, so he tries to compromise. And he says that 
uh, Geralt will show his gathered, Pratt's gathered audience of politicians and nobility, and even an incognito prince, something that they've never seen before. And he'll just go out stripped to the waist. And in exchange, he'll give him the information right away, like right here and now, and he'll also give him a little bit of money as a bonus. And Geralt gathers that he can't refuse. Even if he's not willing to do this, even if he doesn't want to accept, he's not going to be given the choice to say no. So he starts to remove remove his jacket, and he tells Pratt, okay, start talking. Tell me what I want to hear. So he tells Geralt that he sent the thief and the broker, or maybe just the thief, actually, I don't know, um, to Novigrad to the Borsodi brothers auction house. He told them to go sell the swords there because it's acclaimed. This Borsodi brothers auction house is acclaimed for selling lots of rare antiques and works of art and rich collectors flock to it whenever it occurs once a quarter. And he even says nowhere else are things sold so dearly. So this is definitely a place that if he can sell the weapons there, the thief is going to get a lot of money. But that's all the information he gives. He doesn't know the thief's identity. He didn't actually meet the thief. And he won't agree to disclose the identity of the broker. But Geralt at least now knows where to find the thief. And he knows that he can find the thief on July 15th, which is the date of the auction. Um, so that's, that's good. It's good that he's got that information. Once that information has been shared, it is time for Geralt to enter the arena. And first, Geralt asks if he's meant to go in weaponless, and Pratt says, well, since I promised my guests something that they've never seen before, yeah, you're going to go in weaponless, weaponless because um, they've seen a witcher with a weapon before. So Geralt finds himself in the arena, and there's an excited audience watching as he sees a two-legged lizard similar to a smaller wyvern at the other end of the arena. And the creature goes to attack him immediately, and he's able to repel it with the Ard sign, but it's got this long tail tapered to a thin point that lashes Geralt on the shoulder before it gets struck back by the sign. And uh, this is similar to getting whipped. Like, this is very painful. The place on his shoulder that gets lashed starts to swell up right away. Then Geralt recognizes the creature as something called a Vigilosaur. Again, I apologize if that's not the pronunciation, although I don't... Never mind. <laughs> uh, so this is a selectively bred magical mutated lizard used for the purpose of guarding. Um, because of the way that the lizard was engineered, it treated the arena as its lair. And then it sees Geralt in, the, in its lair, and therefore it sees him as an intruder, an intruder that's got to be eliminated. So... Geralt is being forced to face off with the particularly dangerous creature while he is shirtless, no armor at all, and no weapon. But luckily, as a witcher, he's got his signs that help hold this thing off for a little bit, which, which is good. If he didn't have his signs, he probably would have been toast. But it, it, it attacks him a few more times, and he uses this art sign again. He uses the heliotrope. Well, no, no, we, I think we've only actually seen him use once before. I could be at the most twice, definitely no more than that. But I think just once, either way, a rare one. 
and he uses the heliotrope to block it, but he does get whipped by it, the thing's tail two or three more times. It creates this blinding pain, swelling, and now he's bleeding. It's just a disaster. And his signs are now starting to weaken. It's just not looking good until one of the spectators leans on a railing and it breaks off and that creates a weapon for Geralt. He wastes no time. He grabs it. He thrusts it into the Vigilosaurus head, killing it. Well, I don't know if I needed to mention that he killed it. Well, maybe there are monsters in the Witcher world that can walk around with um, with their heads in pale. <laughs> so maybe we do need to clarify when uh, things are killed, especially things we're not familiar with. Probably not, though. It's dead. Moving on. When he's back out of the arena, he's getting stitched up by a physician and a very happy very satisfied Pyrrhal Pratt approaches. And first he tells Geralt that the bar he used to kill the monster ended up in the arena on his orders. That was actually uh, done on purpose. And then he tells him that because of the satisfaction from the political leaders in the audience, he's going to have the position of counselor in his back pocket. This is great. And then he asked Geralt, hey, they loved this. I loved it. This is really beneficial for me. You want to come back next week and perform again? Hell no. Geralt and Dandelion, they start showing their disgust with Pratt for his treatment toward Geralt here, since he put him in a very dangerous position, and Dandelion goes as far as telling Pratt that he will not be performing at his daughter's or granddaughter's wedding anymore. And Pratt finds these comments disrespectful, and he, he doesn't see it as well-deserved, <laughs> and he threatens Dandelion. But Geralt comes to Dandelion's defense and points out, hey, you gave me what I wanted. I gave you what you wanted. We're free to go now. And they leave. And I'm hoping that this is the last we see of Pyrrhal Pratt for the remainder of the book, since he's clearly an unsavory character and his return would unlikely lead to anything good. I don't want to uh, see them get mixed up with him again. So they leave. They're on their way back to Karak. And while they're on their way, Geralt hears the approaching of people on horses following them, so he urges Dandelion to ride on and hide out at his cousin's place, but he tells them he'll meet him tomorrow. So Dandelion takes off, and the riders emerge from the darkness, and they tell Geralt he's to come with them and that they're on the they're working on the orders of a prince. So they take him to a nearby tavern where he enters these private chambers and he's greeted by the aforementioned prince. And this guy starts by saying that he was the incognito prince there. He saw Geralt fighting in the arena and he was very impressed. And then he gets right to business and he introduces introduces himself as Prince Xander of Karak and tells him about his desire to become king and the roadblocks to getting there, which of course are his still living father, the king, and his brothers who may inherit the throne over him. And then he says that he needs Geralt's help achieving his wishes to sit the throne. Unsurprisingly, Geralt declines not being in the business of killing people for money, just monsters, that's what the Witcher does. And the prince doesn't take too kindly to the rejection. He acts like a spoiled prince who's used to getting his way, and he threatens to destroy Geralt's reputation if he doesn't comply. And he means to do this with a stack of documents that he's got that show Geralt having either taken too much money for Witcher jobs or taking money for uncompleted jobs. 
basically making Geralt seem like um, this money thieving fraud. So Geralt points out that many of the instances that he goes through all of these testimonies are either fabricated um, or they're just not even a little bit true. Like some of the places he talked about, Geralt said he's never even been to. But this prince tells him, well, even if you're able to walk away from these accusations and if you're found not guilty in court, the stink of these accusations is going to follow you for the rest of your life and it's going to make it really difficult for you to ever receive employment again. It's like, um, it's like if uh, you were to have done a lot of really inappropriate things on social media <laughs> and then your future... Uh, job prospects go and research you and find that and uh, you are now unemployable that's basically what this guy's trying to do to Geralt but Geralt he still he won't give in he is not going to um, commit the regicide and the fratricide but following his rejection Geralt says well the man hidden in the bedchamber can come out now and then Dandelion's cousin, Ferrant, who'd been listening in, reveals himself. And it turns out that he and the prince placed a bet on whether or not Geralt would succumb to the threats. And since he did not, Ferrant won the bet. Kind of unfair because uh, Ferrant has met Geralt, the prince hasn't. But, I mean, who cares about them? And as it also turns out, the prince here is actually Bellohun's other son, Egmund impersonating his brother Xander, as he was suspicious that Xander would try to hire the Witcher to do exactly what he was previously pretending to do and wanted to test Geralt to see if it'd work. And it didn't, of course. But since Eggman really does fear for his father's life, he wants to hire Geralt to protect him during his upcoming wedding as he thinks that the attempts on his life might happen there. And Geralt points out the obvious issue with defending someone's life, uh, something that Ferrant is already familiar with, by the way. Geralt doesn't have his swords, so how is he going to protect them without his swords? And Eggman and Ferrant kind of say, oh, yeah, no big deal. We'll absolutely get your swords back by then. And that kind of makes me wonder... It was Ferrant taking the task of tracking down the thief seriously up until this point. Because we know Geralt had his doubts about Ferrant's capabilities and in recovering his weapons. But it's just the way that he talks about helping get the swords back here in this moment just makes the Geralt's previous doubts about Ferrant seem pretty reasonable. And even um, Pyrrhal Pratt, Pratt, yeah, I said I was going to refer to him by his surname. I'm already confusing myself in my head about his name, Pratt. Even mentions Ferrant, like, oh yeah, evidence is a big deal to him. Like, he's not going to do anything without evidence. But either way, Geralt says, okay, yeah, get my swords back. But he never does give a definitive answer about whether or not he will take on the offered job. But Eggman tells him um, one of the other benefits from this job that he is going to receive right now, and that is the, the court case around Geralt's accused embezzlement, it's dismissed. He's now off the hook in that regard, which is great. Uh, but the documents that Eggman talked about while he was impersonating his brother, they are real. He does, I mean, they, they might be full of lies, but they are legitimate physical documents and they're going to stay with him. So basically this is to use as blackmail to get Geralt to take the job. 
that he's already not really interested in and has no intention of taking on, as we're going to find out a little bit more in a second. Um, but Geralt gets back to Coral's house. He's now, he's left, he gets to Coral's, and she fusses over the wounds that he received from the Vigilosaur. So she, with the help of Mosaic, starts to patch up Geralt's wounds when she sees Geralt fiddling with something. And that something is um, this brass oval plate with signs embossed on it. And he tells her that it was permanently attached to the Vigilosaur's hide. And she looks at it and she says, oh, what a coincidence, since you're heading that way. Um, it's, I liked how that was written. Like, we did not see, there was no mention whatsoever of Geralt pulling this brass plate off of the, the hide of the monster that he killed until now. Like, when he was there, at, he, he traveled with it all the way back to Corals, didn't say anything about it. But she looks at it and she says, okay, yeah, that, you're heading there. You're heading in that way. So there's no other context given as to what exactly was on the plate that uh, made her say that. But she does say that the, her mage associates and their plans regarding Geralt have actually just been updated. And that update is that he is to go to Risberg Castle. And that is the seat of Ordolin, who we don't currently know. Nor do we know anything about Risberg or why exactly Geralt is being summoned there. All we know is that he is to go forthwith, and it would be inadvisable for him to refuse. So he's not totally forced to go. He's not outright forced to go, but it would be a bad idea for him not to. And I believe it. And I think he does too, because that's where he's going. As we find in the interlude, in the first interlude that we're going to move on to now, because the scene at Corals is where the chapter comes to an end. So the first interlude is actually pulled from a rough draft from Dandelion's Half a Century of Poetry uh, that we know he actually began working on in Baptism of Fire while on the road with the company. So this is where he explains that he purchased Geralt a nice Nilfgaardian sword from a widow at the bank and then he goes to meet Geralt for breakfast and he gives him the sword. And when they meet... He gives him the sword and Geralt tells him he's got no intention of carrying out Eggman's request to protect his father. He doesn't feel too confident that they'll actually be able to get his swords back. And even if they do, he doesn't want the prince to have an advantage over him, which is probably really smart. So his plan now is to go to Risberg, then go to Novigrad and try to catch the thief himself at the auction. And then he's just never going to show his face in Karak again. And I think that this is a good plan. A prince who's involved with the likes of Pyro Pratt. I said the full name that time because I have it written down in front of me. I knew I wasn't going to mess it up as I was reading it. <laughs> but this prince is involved with the likes of Pyro Pratt. Having the advantage over Geralt can only lead to bad things. I don't think that it would be wise to let somebody like that um, have any control over you. So I think it would be better to just take matters into your own hands. I think Geralt's making some good choices here. And also who cares if Geralt can't return to Karak? It doesn't seem like a good place anyway. During his short visit here, a lot of crappy things have happened. Yeah, he did get to sleep with a hot sorceress, but, um, at what cost? <laughs> I don't think this is a good place and it doesn't seem to have a good reputation also. So when he's about to take off to move forward with these plans, Dandelion lets him know that he's been 
thinking about trying to woo Quirrell's novice, Mosaic, and Geralt gets pretty angry just at the suggestion. He says that novices are strictly forbidden from even harmless flirting, and if she were to get caught getting involved with a man, Coral could send her back to school, which is an embarrassment that is so awful, other novices have actually killed themselves over it. So yeah, you are absolutely not to do that, Dandelion. And I wanted to say really quick, that Mosaic seems like such a minor character, but she's been brought up a lot. Like she's been brought up so many times that I'm starting to wonder if she maybe plays a bigger role down the line. I could be reading too much into this, but I find it interesting how even though she doesn't seem important, she keeps coming up, but uh, we'll see. It really could just be nothing. Do not tell me though what her purpose is. If her purpose is nothing, if her purpose is something, don't tell me because I haven't finished this book yet. Uh, so <laughs> that ends the first interlude. So the next two interludes are letters. So two people exchanging letters. And the first one is a letter from a sorcerer called Pinty. I mean, I can't imagine that that would be pronounced another way. It just sounds like a weird name for a grown man, but I shouldn't judge. I'm sorry. Uh, we've never met him though. He's writing to Coral. So the first, or I'm sorry, the second interlude, the first letter is a letter addressed to Coral from Pinty. And then the second letter is Coral's reply to Pinty. So in Pinty's letter, Pinty, sorry. In his letter, he informed Coral that Geralt arrived at Risberg Castle. So that's like the text message, made it home safe, babe. Um, yeah, he's arrived at Risberg Castle and he pissed everyone off right after getting there. Um, even Ordolin, who is usually well disposed to everyone, is having problems with Geralt. And Ordolin was the person that Geralt mentioned when he first heard that he was expected at Risberg. So I think this is the guy running the show. Um, I, I don't feel inclined to take his words here about Geralt too seriously. Like this is a sorcerer that already don't like witchers very much. Witchers don't like them. Um, and he's also partly responsible for Geralt's unnecessary arrest. It's not someone I'm really going to trust to have a fair opinion of our beloved witcher. Although he does at least say that, um, Geralt is a professional and trustworthy as regards his job. So yeah, he says, uh, Geralt's a pain. He's really annoying. Everybody hates him. Uh, but he, he's actually competent when it comes to doing witcher stuff. So, uh, good on him there. He, uh, he gives credit where credit's due, I suppose. Uh, he also says that, um, quote, we may consider the goal of our enterprise accomplished, unquote but no details are given on what that means. We still don't know what any of this is about. So we're going to have to wait for future chapters to uh, get to the bottom of that. And in, in the postscript of his letter, he says something about recent rumors about Coral's relationship with Geralt and how she got involved with him just to annoy Yennefer, but it shouldn't matter anyway, because Yen is currently seeing a man from the jewelry trade and therefore doesn't care about Geralt or who he's involved with at all. I mean, this mention might really not be too important, but I thought a specific mention of Yen and what she's currently up to was interesting, so I had to throw it in. And then for the third interlude, the final one, um, Coral's return letter. It's way less informative. It basically just addresses the rumors. She tells him, ignore those rumors. She's gonna do the same. And she also kind of defends Geralt a little bit. Uh, yeah, Geralt's not so bad. That's pretty much it. Okay. 
closing thoughts. Yeah, this chapter, chapter eight with the arena is interesting. We saw Siri in an arena. That was disturbing. And then we see it happen with Geralt, also disturbing. At least she had a sword, but she was also forced to do drugs before going in. And, and uh, she was being forced by Boneheart, who was a total nightmare. Um, I'm not trying to compare the situations. It was, they're both awful. Uh, but it <laughs> wasn't thinking that we would have to see that again. Uh, yeah, it wasn't nice the first time. It wasn't nice the second time. But they made it out. That's that's a, that's the best thing that came out of it, is that they, they survived. And then the prince, very interesting. I mean, we met this prince in the very first interlude of the whole book when Coral, Coral meets with him and the brother, Xander, that he was impersonating, and the king. Um, yeah, he didn't seem very nice there. He didn't talk a lot, but when he did, didn't seem very nice. And he doesn't seem like a good guy here. Uh, it doesn't seem totally awful, but do I trust him at all? No, not one bit. So, yeah, we had that whole thing with the arena, the whole thing with the prince, and then Geralt's plans, which brings us to the looking ahead section of the episode. Uh, Risberg. I expect that we'll see Geralt and Risberg. I expect we'll be talking about that as we know that he has made it there, and I'm excited to see what he has done to annoy everybody. Well, I mean, I've seen it. I, I've read. I told you I've read ahead. Um, but I'm excited to talk about it, I guess. And I, I am excited about the Borsodi auction to see what happens there. How does Carol get his swords back? Is it going to happen? If it does, how will that play out? Because I feel like that would be a challenge, like trying to find that person before the swords are being sold, because I, from the sound of it, I don't think that they're going to be sold for cheap. I don't think Carol's going to be able to just buy the swords and he shouldn't have to. That would be ridiculous. Okay, great book so far. Really loving this story. So I'm excited to keep talking about it. Uh, maybe we'll do more chapters where we only cover, I'm sorry, episodes where we only cover one chapter and we can drag this out as long as possible because oh, this podcast is going to be over soon. But um, I mean, I may continue it in the future with um, a different series. If I do, it's probably going to be a while, but, um, some people have given me suggestions. I do take those suggestions seriously. I've got a, um, ongoing note on my phone that I constantly update with things. So when I need ideas, I reference that. So always keep it coming. I love the suggestions and I appreciate, um, those of you who have sent them over. Okay. That is all I have for you today. So just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you in the next episode.